Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast and what a what a race. Uh, I, I can't really add too much to it. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little bit tired and exhausted. It's been a long day but we're gonna go through the Spanish Grand Prix and the big headline is Max Verstappen once again continuing to I, want, I don't want to say dominate but continuing to impress whenever he finishes a race he wins. Although it must be said, this time around, it certainly wasn't the formidable Max Verstappen that we've so often come to get used to this season. It certainly was a Grand Prix that I think based on what we saw go down, it was far from a dominant display from Red Bull and it was certainly a huge element of fortune to it. But nonetheless, Max Verstappen winning the Grand Prix ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez, which not only gives Max Verstappen now a lead in the championship over Charles Leclerc, but also Red Bull have stolen a huge march on Ferrari. But we are going to go and dissect the nuances and everything that went down in this race, because as I said already, it was absolutely far from dominant from Red Bull. Joining me on this episode of the podcast, as always, we've got our co-host joining us once again, Courtney Pine and Lee Wallinson. Lads, how are we doing? Courtney, let's start with you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, mate. Um, bit relieved after watching that race. Usually I expect Spain to be a boring one, you know, because historically speaking, it usually is a boring one. But yeah, it was. Uh, looks like the new regulations are continuing to have the desired effect. And we actually had an interesting race there for once. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, you know, often in the past, Spanish Grand Prix tend to be rather boring. Uh, we often say that they're races that are dominated by the car that's usually on pole position and it did seem that that was going to be the case albeit for some unfortunate circumstances that we're going to get into later on. Lee, how are you doing? Uh, what were your thoughts on the race today? Did you enjoy it like Courtney? Yeah, I'm good. I, I'm also relieved but probably from a slightly different matter of I always enjoy the Spanish Grand Prix um, is 
the last two races, in my opinion, have been a bit more boring than the races at the beginning of the season. So they get back more of an interesting race for me. So it was really enjoyable that the, the rules um, are still working, although, yeah, the last two races for me weren't as exciting. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. I mean, it's relative at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, it's always, never going to be a guarantee, but um, granted... The last two races haven't been as thrilling, perhaps, as the others have been, but they've still been good on merit. Perhaps this one was certainly a bit better than the Miami one. Um, plenty going on, but of course, we're going to get into that. But before we do, just a casual reminder to you guys, we are the independent F1 podcast that brings you all of the latest news, talking points and events in the Formula One world. And we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure. And remember, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. So guys, let's get into the race review. As I said already, it was a win for Red Bull, a win for Max Verstappen, a 1-2 finish for them and Sergio Perez, the second one this season, and a critically important one because it gives them not only control in the Constructors' Championship, but Max Verstappen, despite seemingly having a formidable, impossible lead to climb to catch Charles Leclerc, he now leads the Drivers' Championship by six points with his fourth win of the season. Um, Courtney, I've already alluded to the fact that this was far from dominant from Max Verstappen, but given how the race transpired, should we be surprised that Max Verstappen ended up getting the win today? Because it seemed for a long time that it just was not going to be his day for loads of reasons. Yeah, it was surprising, I think, for two reasons. First of all, um, Charles Leclerc was pretty comfortable. You know, I think Ferrari will be encouraged by the pace that uh, the Claire in particular showed. So, you know, before the DNF, of course, that changed everything. And I think we saw some glimpses of the Max Verstappen that we saw in the past. We haven't been seeing as much um, lately. And that is a guy that's very hot in the cockpit and was making mistakes that we don't usually see him make. You know, that there have been times at the beginning of this season where... Max Verstappen's looked almost unstoppable. But I think today is proof that if Ferrari Leclerc or maybe even Mercedes and the, the two Brits get their uh, their act together, Max Verstappen still shows that he can get rattled when things don't go his way. Yeah, absolutely. I think we saw elements of Max Verstappen towards the tail end of 2021 creeping out. There were mistakes coming in. There, there were certain elements to his driving that looked frustrated, impatient, um, we know Max is one of those guys that often, you know, shouts down on the radio when he's not happy about something, no matter how small it is, but it doesn't often affect his driving. But on a day like today, he was becoming increasingly frustrated, especially in that period when he was stuck behind George Russell earlier in the race and he couldn't seem to find a way past him. And of course, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But Lee, what were your thoughts on Max Verstappen and Red Bull today? W will they consider this a victory Um you know, they can look back on and just say, look, we got a, a huge slice of fortune. We'll take the result. Or is it one of those where they feel like it, the win was definitely up there for them? It just didn't really go according to plan and how they intended to go about it. I think they definitely went into the race thing with a, obviously target of the race win. And um, it's a perfect example of damage limitation. Max made the mistake with that help with that gust and went off the track. And there's like, well, they, that's part of the frustration that, was creeping in because he'd blown his chance of, of what he thought of getting the race win. So having that fortune come back to him along with the annoyance of the DRS, it was always on the card for Red Bull to have a chance at the win. For me, I feel more sorry for Sergio that for no fault of his own, he had to give up effectively the race win on team orders. And 
he didn't make any mistake today and he, he lost out and in that championship battle and obviously we may get into the discussion about team orders this early in the season but I feel sorry for him to be honest yeah same yeah yeah no I couldn't agree more um, I mean obviously we'll, we'll talk about Perez in a minute but um, obviously one thing that was quite interesting was the fact that Red Bull was struggling with this DRS issue and it always seems to be something else with the car at the moment of course Max had that issue in qualifying which some people thought was an engine issue Dr. Helmut Marco came out and said, no, it was a DRS issue. And then the DRS issue was playing up even before the race started. Red Bull were trying to get it fixed. They were trying to get it all back together. It looked like they got it fixed. Max was still having trouble. And, you know, there were times when he was pressing it constantly. I think he was saying, I'm pressing it like 50 times and it just won't open or it was opening and closing, opening and closing. So, you know, they got, they got away with it today in terms of the reliability, but is this something that Red Bull should be concerned about going forward? Because the upgrades have gone on to practically almost everybody with the exception of Haas to a degree. And I think that the way the race was going, it didn't look like that they had the best car or at least the most reliable one for some time. So is that something that Red Bull, despite getting the result today that they would have wanted, will be concerned about going forward? I think Red Bull will be... Obviously, they're going to be very happy with the points that they've got and obviously Max Stappen leading the World Championship. But I think they're going to go away deep inside feeling, you know, a little bit empty almost. Because first of all, as Lee perfectly said about Sergio Perez, there's no doubt that Sergio Perez will be upset about that. I think, you know, what he said on the radio afterwards was perfect. You know, and they're saying, oh, thank you, Sergio. Da, 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 da. He said, um, I want to speak about this afterwards. He dealt with that professionally, but... It just shows that, you know, Sergio Perez is happy to do a job for the team, but so early on in the season to have a race victory taken away from him. I think it's encouraging to see as a neutral that, you know, Sergio Perez isn't just there to be a number two driver. Look, we know that Max is exceptional, but it just shows it's, it's good to know that Sergio Perez isn't happy just to be the number two. And if there are race victories available, he does want that. And I think, second of all, when you look at this Red Bull, it's actually, it just reminds me of, an agent Newey car during his McLaren days. Rapid, but unreliable. Because we, we, we've seen it, because Adrian Newey is so exceptional what he does, his designs are radical. And usually with radical design comes, you know, you're, you're going on the edge of reliability. And Red Bull may have got away with it today, you know, because we saw with Ferrari and Mercedes, they did it on this occasion. No, no, because under hot weather, obviously things come under more strains, so you're more likely to get DNFs. But I do feel that this seat, this championship, well, both championships, could well come down to reliability. So it's something that Red Bull still really need to be keeping an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even more so when we're in these regulations that we're in now, that we're frozen in with the engine regs. And, you know, we're still seeing reliability issues uh, with Red Bull. Not necessarily the engine stuff, but other parts as well. And, you know, Dr. Helmut Marco was quizzed on this with Max Verstappen because... He was talking a lot about the issue that Max had with the DRS. He said that a lot of it probably was down to the uh, changing parts, the weight saving that they've been going through. And Red Bull have obviously been trying to put that car on a diet to make it more, um, you know, a more, more agile or faster car, an all-round better car. And it obviously still has some teething problems that they yet to figure out. So it's certainly an important factor that they need to make sure that the reliability of the car is just as robust as it is quick. Today, that they got away with it. And, you know, they really, really done well under the circumstances and they did benefit from other issues that, uh, you know, that helped them. But um, 
it's one of those going forward that I think they realise with these upgrades that they are going to have to get this right because they can't afford to keep making uh, these upgrades and then they're just not working out from a reliability perspective. So let's talk about Checo uh, before we go back to Max a little bit later on. Um, yeah, very, very disappointing um, manner in which Checo ended up with his P2. I mean, Checo, I thought, did a great job today. Apparently, he wasn't driving the upgraded Red Bull that Max Verstappen had. Apparently, his was a bit heavier, which might explain why there was a bit of a deficit to Max over the course of the weekend. Now, I know Checo usually gives up a tenth or two to Max ultimately, but he was at least half a second off Max when they were sort of fighting fit and, and you know, fully going for it, which might explain why he was off the pace a little bit. But he drove a great race. He managed himself really well. Um, you know, he was managing his strategy well. At one point, Red Bull were going to put him onto a one-stopper. He managed to get past George Russell um, at one point. And, you know, there was a time where it did seem like Checo Perez was going to win this Grand Prix. But then, of course, once again, team orders coming to the fore to allow Max Verstappen to get that opportunity to win the Grand Prix. In the moment that Max managed to clear George in, in the pits, Checo's strategy was changed to favour Max Verstappen. And they were saying to Checo, oh, you're on different strategies. But... I get that, but Perez was on the better one. So, and Perez obviously said on the radio, we need to talk about this afterwards. So clearly there was some frustration there from Checo Perez on this one because it seemed like this was a race that he would have very much wanted to win today. And the only reason why he didn't is because his teammate is fighting at the front of the World Championship. That being said, Checo himself, what is he, third or fourth in the Championship? He's not exactly far off himself. So uh, should we write this one down already and say that Red Bull have firmly put themselves in the Verstappen camp for this championship? I think they have. I think they've made it abundantly clear. And uh, again, I, d I just think it's ridiculous that they've made this decision so early on in the season. Yeah, they've seen Leclerc go out and they thought, you know, this is a real opportunity to gain maximum points. But I just I just think it just shows a level of disrespect to Sergio Perez. If it was later on in the season, I, I wouldn't even think anything of it. But to, But to do it, so early, that's a little bit of a kick in the teeth, Sergio, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if they hadn't done it and Checo had won today, he'd be, what, 12 points behind Leclerc and 11 behind his teammate? Now that they've done that, Max is now leading this championship by six points and he's, what, 25 now ahead of Checo. It's a full race win. So for me, whilst I kind of expected it to happen, and I saw this happening the moment that... Verstappen got past George Russell. I thought, right, that's it. They're going to call it. And just and then Checo dropped, like, what, 15 seconds over the course of two or three laps. And then they put him in the pits afterwards. So it was a shame for Checo. But this is the sort of thing I suppose he's going to have to do whilst he's at Red Bull um, until he can prove them otherwise, unfortunately. Uh, Lee, what did you make of Sergio Perez's performance today? Uh, are you disappointed that Red Bull didn't give him the opportunity to try and go for the win himself? Or were you expecting Red Bull at this point of the season to consolidate the position they were in and more importantly put Max ahead of Charles Leclerc when the opportunity came for him? Um, I, I, I think it's, it is a shame uh, for Sergio. You think if Sergio had a bit of uh, more luck this season, all right, we're only 6-3 since, Sergio could have two wins under his belt, which is not a bad <laughs> thing for Sergio if he had a... Um, so he's driving brilliantly, um, which is great to see. Uh, it's just a yeah, it's, it's a shame that happened. But I understand Red Bull, especially with Charles's retirement, that they want to maximise that damage to Ferrari. Um, but yeah, for for obviously racing uh, this early in the season, 
it does suck a little bit as a neutral to see it, but I fully understand the reasoning behind it. Um, I just do hope Sergio just uh, Red Bull allow Sergio to get that win later on um, and don't try and hurt. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they, we get this late as the season goes on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to stress that, you know, it's funny, we were talking in the preview about this with uh, Sean Kelly and we were entertaining the idea like, what would Ferrari do in this situation? Would, if Sainz was leading the Grand Prix, Verstappen was out of the race, would they ask Sainz to slow down and let Leclerc through? I'm convinced that Ferrari probably would have done. I know some people probably didn't agree with me and thinking that, well, you know, it's early in the season. But remember, these are the sorts of decisions that you kind of have to make to win world championships. Mercedes did it more often than they probably needed to. Ferrari certainly did it more often than they needed to when they were winning championships and Red Bull as well. So less successfully because they are two drivers fighting each other for the championship most years. But, you know, all that said... It's something that Red Bull find themselves in right now where they have a clear number one and a clear number two. And that number two, reluctantly today, but still followed, you know, the the orders and still allowed his teammate to take advantage of the situation and maximise the damage inflicted on his opponents. I can't really see Carlos Sainz and for lack of, uh, you you know, for traditional purposes, let's just assume George Russell is the Mercedes number two right now. And, And that's based on the fact that Lewis is the number one in the team already going into this. Um, I can't really see Carlos Sainz happily allowing Charles to uh, overtake, especially after signing that new deal. And I don't really think George Russell would do the same for Lewis unless it was painfully obvious that Lewis needed that place off of him. I think in a situation like this, I don't think they would have been happy to. So, um, or at the very least, it, it, it doesn't come without its problems. Red Bull right now do have that element to it. And, you know, Mercedes, whilst they're not in that fight just yet, although they're getting closer, Ferrari right now can't really rely on both their cars to deliver at the same time. Red Bull can, and that's ultimately what's proven the difference right now, despite there being practically nothing between them at the moment after all these upgrades. So, um, yeah, uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Do you feel that this could prove to be Red Bull's key advantage in this championship right now is the fact that they have two drivers fighting for these big points and more importantly an established hierarchy where the number two will always be there to make sure the number one can take advantage on a day like today yeah Adam you've hit the nail on the head there about um, having both drivers um, Charles Leclerc really does need Carlos Sainz to up his game I, I, I don't want to kick the guy whilst he's down because some of the driving we're seeing from him it does show a guy that's lacking confidence but you're right Sergio Perez is performing so much better this season and I think that's why as as a neutral fan that's why I'm gutted that he didn't get the win because I think you know that would have been a reward for you know the good work these pots because you've got to remember like it's it's so easy to forget that both drivers help towards the development of these cars because Max Verstappen's the main man at Red Bull it's easy to forget that Sergio Perez is one of the reasons why that car is as fast as it is you know particularly with these regulation changes the, the input from the drivers is as important as ever. And, you know, and I look at Ferrari, going back to Ferrari and the Car- Carlos Sainz, it really is important that Carlos Sainz up his game. I'm looking like two races in the future. You've got Red Bull are looking rapid. Yeah, unreliable, but rapid. Both drivers are on point. And even looking at Mercedes, if Mercedes continue to, you know, claw back time the way they are, now they're figuring out the porpoising issues. 
a driver lineup in George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, I think on paper that's probably the strongest li- uh, driver lineup on the entire grid. So Ferrari, not only do they need to be looking at keeping this development war going, the race pace from Charles Leclerc in particular was encouraging for Ferrari, but they're going to need both drivers to be up there because say we end up with freeway battles in these races and for whatever reason Ferrari are fastest, they're going to need they're going to need Carlos Sainz to take more points away from the likes of Max Verstappen or maybe one of the work boys if they go on a mad one and end up in the championship battle. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Lee, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, uh, I think at the moment, as you've both touched on, uh, Sergio is going to be making a difference, especially in the constructors. A bit like Valtteri last year. Um, it was Valtteri's performance that enabled Mercedes to seal the constructors. Um, so Carlos not being there as being as lucky as he is and or lacking the confidence that he's not then not delivering that same opportunity to Ferrari. Um but I also should add Sergio he apparently started his contract negotiations with Red Bull. So these performances are only helping renewing staying at Red Bull. Um which we've we've touched on before in previous episodes about is Alex Albon waiting in the wings, Pierre Gasly. So Sergio obviously wants to keep his seat in uh, Red Bull. So He's doing what he can to get that new contract. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And it has that Barry Kello element to this and the Bottas element to this as well. You know, for those of people that will remember Rubens Barry Kello and obviously what used to happen at Ferrari is that they used to be on short-term contracts where they would often be in negotiations or in talks over their new contracts around about the times that these sorts of team order instances occur. And it's kind of a catch-22, really. You, you know, you can be disappointed that you have to give up a win that you've worked so hard for and probably deserve on merit. But, of course, if you ignore that order and you go and win the race, you're going to lose your seat. And that's a very, very good seat that Sergio Perez has right now. And I'm pretty certain, considering how hard he's had to work to get it, he's certainly not going to want to give it up very, very easily, especially considering how well he's driving at the moment compared to where he was last season. Um we should also lay some praise on Red Bull and the strategy. I think, um, you know, when Max was having trouble overtaking George Russell, I think they did a brilliant job reacting to what happened to Charles Leclerc and getting Max onto that free stopper when they put him on the soft tyres. I think that more than anything else won him the Grand Prix. I think that phase of the race put him onto some soft tyres, do some blisteringly quick laps, made some really good overtakes. I think that one on Valtteri Bottas in the final sector was an absolutely brilliant overtake around the outside at uh, turn 12, 13, I think it was, something like that. So uh, really, really, really good stuff to see. And, um, you know, congratulations to Red Bull. And, uh, yeah, they are looking very, very handy right now. Let's move on to Ferrari. This uh, today promised to be a very, very good day for Ferrari. As often we've seen this season, when these t- when Saturday looks very, very good for Ferrari, Sunday Unfortunately for them, more often than not, doesn't really seem to deliver. And we got the same today. And Carlos Sainz had a bad getaway. He lost a few places off the start. Then, of course, he had that spin, which damaged his floor, which Ferrari is saying that cost him as much as a second a lap, which explained a huge deficit in performance, despite the recovery to P4 in the end, albeit with some good fortune at the expense of Lewis Hamilton. But it was Charles Leclerc who was the star this weekend, fastest in all the practice sessions, um, fastest in qualifying he had that mistake in q3 but he recovered it one shot and absolutely nailed it It was brilliant to see and he got a great start 
and he led from the front. And when everyone else was having trouble or making mistakes behind him, he was driving like a champion. Very similar to what we saw in Bahrain a couple of years ago. But once again, when Charles Leclerc is really, really on it, the only thing that seems to hold him back or cost him is misfortune and reliability. And once again, that cruel mistress really struck him hard once more with an engine failure, which took him out of a race, which seemingly had his name written all over it. So with all that being said, guys, is there any positives that Charles Leclerc can take from this race? Because he had a few himself about the car performance, but if you were Charles Leclerc, how would you be feeling right now based on what happened this weekend? Yeah, I think the car performance is certainly an element. Um, Bit of a weird situation for Charles Leclerc because the next race is his home race. So, you know, you'd think in principle he should be looking forward to that. He has an opportunity to win his own race. But unfortunately, you're talking about Charles Leclerc and some of his misfortune, him and Monaco. I mean, that's going to be the biggest talking point of Monaco. That's going to make our preview easy to do in the next few days because it's all going to be about... Can Charles Leclerc beat his Monaco hoodoo? Because it is, it's, it's a real thing. You know, you even had that incident when he's driving Nicky Lauder's 1976 Ferrari in the showpiece event, and there was brake failure. And it's not a good look, even though it's a brake failure. It just highlights, you know, it highlights the misfortune it has. And that's the type of thing that gets into these drivers' heads. You know, at the end of the day, these guys, yeah, they're supremely talented, but they are human beings at the end of the day. I think we're going to go, I just think with Charles Leclerc, Get Monaco out of the way, because I'm just going to say damage limitation for him on paper. I think after Monaco, I think Ferrari and Charles Leclerc in particular really need to knuckle down, get their heads down and just get themselves right back into this game because they don't want to find themselves in a situation where they're going, I'm thinking about battling Red Bull. Instead of doing that, they're looking over their shoulders at Mercedes because the way that it's ha- the way it's going, particularly Carlos Sainz, Carlos Sainz is going to be Mercedes' next target if they carry on on that upward trajectory. So for Ferrari, it really is a case of them looking forward to Red Bull and not back towards Mercedes. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, this was probably the first weekend this season where I feel like the driver that should have won the Grand Prix didn't. You know, we talked about Max Verstappen's reliability issues in Bahrain and uh, in Australia but all right, he lost second place in those races, but he was never going to win them. You know, he was well beat. But today, Charles Leclerc had that race all tied up. And, and I'll be honest with you guys, I've been incredibly impressed with Leclerc. I know I've been a big backer of him. And I know that, you know, we said a couple of weeks ago that he does need to try and find something a bit more because Max seemed to have the upper hand. But this weekend was such an emphatic performance from him. Um, you know, and he did have the mistake in him. And of course, he was able to recover that. The car looked very strong. There was concerns about the race pace, but he was the fastest thing out there by some margin. He had it covered mm-hmm. off. Re- reliability cost him. And I think for what it's worth, he, whilst he's not leading the championship anymore, that's now gone. I think the attitude he was taking, despite being disappointed, was looking at the positives. I certainly think there's a lot there. But Ferrari really need to make sure that they continue on the development curve that they're at, which obviously the first hurdle's been passed. It looks good, but the reliability has crept in and at their expense, which we thought that car was bulletproof, and clearly it's not. So, you know, for their sake, they're going to have to find a solution soon because they don't want to be putting their, themselves in a position where they're taking points off their own drivers through these shortcomings. Um, Lee, what did you make of, despite the, the, you know, the misfortune, what did you make of Charles Leclerc this weekend? Do you feel that 
based on what we've seen this weekend, that Charles Leclerc can still be positive about where he is currently in the championship, despite losing that lead now to Max Verstappen? Uh, I, I think the positive you can take away from it is, as we've touched on uh, before, Adam, is um, Circuit de Catania is very much a car uh, performance indicator. And before Max is off, Charles was putting the gap on him. So that Ferrari is fast, has the performance, and he can maintain and increase a gap over a Red Bull, which is obviously the, the main title contenders. So he knows that there is the performance there. He, can, he knows he can race Max. And it's not where they have been the last few races of all Red Bull were faster than now on equal footing at the time being. So you go, oh, it's not today, but next week I can, I can do it. I have another chance. Well, we're not obviously getting into the details of because that's for the the preview, but it's he can go. Yeah, I, I, I'm not out of this yet. Um, that's the obviously the thing to look for. It's just for me is the neg- more negative side of Courtney said before for Red Bull the reliability. That was Charles's second engine. If that's a terminal failure, is reliability going to affect Charles later in the season if he needs to take penalties for a further engines? Well, Ferrari said that they probably were going to earmark a race where they will have to take an engine penalty at some point. So, yeah. you know, it's it's definitely not not off the cards. The problem is, of course, if they have to do it again, I don't think we're going to see the resurgence of Ferrari in the same way that we saw with Mercedes last season, where they could afford to take a million engine penalties, and yet Lewis or Valtteri still had a rocket ship in the back of that car where they could recover it. Ferrari, whilst you know being in a strong position where they probably could get to a good position, I don't think they can afford to take too many grid penalties um, because it will cost them winning races. And on a day like today, this was an opportunity for Charles Leclerc to really stamp his authority in this championship. And he very much did for half the race, but it was unfortunate that it was out of his control. But otherwise, I thought he was absolutely superb. So hopefully, um, it, it's not one of those that this was an opportunity gone and you know there's going to be plenty more in the future. Um Let's talk about Carlos Sainz. Now, it's a really hard one because I, I I really, really do like Carlos Sainz and I do rate him quite highly. Um, but unfortunately, at a race where I expected Carlos to really up his game and improve, qualifying, yes, it was a good performance. I think P3 wasn't the worst thing in the world. I think, you know, be fair, you know, he was unlucky not to get on the front row. But he had that poor start where it went into anti-stall. He got bogged down the order. He made that mistake, which obviously not only dropped him down the order further, but it damaged his floor. He eventually recovered to P4, eventually, although he was a bit lucky because he did get passed by Lewis Hamilton. If it wasn't for his issues, he probably would have stayed ahead. But the one thing that really gets me is that, given what we saw with Charles Leclerc today, Carlos Sainz arguably had a car that was capable of winning this Grand Prix. And you, if you think about it, and this is not me trying to stick the dagger in or stick the knife in, but in front of his home crowd, if he kept his nose clean and drove the way that we normally expect Carlos Sainz to drive with that high consistency, he probably would have won today. So that all being said, um, I mean, guys, what is going on with Carlos Sainz, really? I mean, because his consistency at the moment is all over the place. I mean, what do you think's happening with him? Because yeah, it's it's just a lack of confidence, you know. I think particularly with the qualifying performances, he's getting completely outclassed by Charles Leclerc. But Ferrari needs Carlos Sainz to get back to the level we know he can. 
He needs to do it for himself, more importantly, but he also needs to do it for Charles Leclerc because, unfortunately, Carlos Sainz has dropped so many points as it is. It's the decision for Ferrari to choose their number one driver is going to be as easy as ever, really. So, to be the support driver of Ferrari, this was an example. Look, Charles Leclerc was at the race. In that kind of situation, you want to be having your other driver taking the points away from Max Verstappen. That didn't happen because Carlos Sainz had another scruffy race. You know, we're going back to talking about engine penalties. If we go later on in the season and Charles Leclerc needs to take a, a, a grid penalty, Ferrari are going to need Carlos Sainz to pick up the points again and take the points away from the Red Bull boys. But the way that it's going, from the trends that we've seen so far this season, that race that Leclerc has to start a few places back with the back of the grid, you're going to expect a Red Bull 1-2 based on the form of these drivers. So for the sake of not only himself as a driver, but the sake of his team, Carlos Sainz needs to get back up there again. I mean, why do you think Carlos Sainz is struggling at the moment? Do you think he's just putting too much pressure on himself? Or do you think that he's focusing too much on his teammate and should just concentrate on his own performances? Because right, you know, last year, he wasn't driving the best car, but he was doing a great job with what he had. He was always delivering at least an 8 or a 9 out of 10 performance. This season, you probably could argue he's not actually done that in one race mm-hmm. this season at all. You know, he looks good in qualifying. He's up there. Yeah. But when it comes to the race, for whatever reason, and it's usually the start, the starts. I mean, wow. How many times now this season has he had a terrible start and it's bogged him down? I don't know if he's made up a place off the start. So for a driver that really does rely on that consistency, I mean, what do you, what do you think, Lee, on this one? Do you think he's focused too much on his teammate and should just concentrate on his own driving? I think he's probably struggled initially to get understanding of these new cars, and which at the beginning of the season, and then he's seen that Charles is winning, and he's getting in his own head, which has then led to a downward spiral in his performance, and he's made mistakes, which then gets it's, a, it's just a feedback loop. On he just needs one good clean race to go. Yeah, that's it. I've got this. I've nailed it. I understand. Yeah, I drove I drove brilliantly, and then it just builds up from there. That's just what he really needs right now. Yeah, uh, Courtney, what are your thoughts on that? I think he just needs to win a race. You know, it's it's obviously going to be something that's always in your mind. It's like it's like a it's like a race winning virginity almost. He's still yet to win that race, and it's a lot worse now. He's in a race winning car. You know, we always say it's all well and good driving for a midfield team or a team towards the back. You know, that's one of the questions we was asking about George Russell, for example. You're going into a race winning team, and you're yet to win a race, and you're still struggling to do so. That's when the pressure builds. So if Carlos Sainz gets a race win, I think we'll start seeing him getting back to the position where Ferrari not only expect him to be, but where they need him to be. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully for their sake, that happens sooner rather than later. But still early days yet, so plenty of time for Ferrari to recover. But that hefty lead that they built up in the first few races is now completely gone. So they're going to be on an equal footing with everybody else. Um, Let's talk about Mercedes now. George Russell, I mean... The only guy in the field to have finished in the top five in all races. Another podium for George Russell today. And some incredibly brilliant driving that we're going to dissect and get into. Uh, well, when we talk about him, I suppose no better way of putting it. But um, Courtney, well, what can we say about George Russell? I mean, the guy is driving like an absolute marvel right now. Yeah, fantastic. He's just continuing, he's just continuing to impress. Um, during the race, when he was, because, you know, he was holding up Sergio Perez. Look, the Red Bulls were clearly, what, 
seven tenths, eight tenths of a lap at times faster than a Mercedes. And George Russell was defending absolutely fantastic. And obviously, I was talking to you guys on the on a group chat during the race, and I said to you, I think today was the day that a star was really born. We've seen moments of brilliance from George Russell in the Williams, particularly in qualifying. We saw that moment, that, that, that race in Bahrain, where it was cruelly taken away from him. So we know that George Russell has race-winning pace. But we've never seen George Russell come up against the best drivers. You know, if he wants to be winning world championships in the future, he's going to have to be beating the likes of Max Verstappen. And today, he has shown that he can hold his own against Max Verstappen in a fast, be it a slightly wounded car with the lack of DRS. But George Russell was not only able to defend against Max Verstappen, he was able to get in Max Verstappen's head and rattle him. We saw Max getting peed off. It was obvious. He had he had Max Verstappen in his pocket at some stages there. So for me, as not only a neutral fan, but as a British fan, as I'm, I'm going to say, I want to be seeing a British win championships. I'm not going to hold back on that. That gives me real encouragement that once Lewis Hamilton retires, George Russell will be able to fly the flag in terms of going for championships. Yeah, absolutely. He's been doing a phenomenal job so far. And I was really impressed today with George Russell. I mean, qualifying, I thought he was very, very good um, to get himself into that position on the second row of the grid. And, you know, the, the race itself, he didn't really put a foot wrong. I mean, defensively, the way he defended against Max Verstappen was exemplary. And, you know, the questions we often get asked about George Russell, or often the questions we ask of George Russell as fans is, we know this guy is quick. We know this guy is quite handy in a Formula One car. There's a lot of pressure on his shoulders to be the heir to the throne at Mercedes when Lewis Hamilton decides to call it a day. But the question has always been, is George Russell going to be good enough fighting against the elite of the elite in Formula One? Is he going to be the guy that's going to be able to be in that cohort with the likes of the Leclerc's and the Verstappen's and, and compete for world championships and fight them on equal footing? And I think what we saw today evident proof if we ever needed any more this was the race in my opinion well I can say yes this guy is the real deal he's got it all and I think given the right machinery I think he can certainly be more than just a casual threat because we had no history of Russell and Verstappen I, I think they were scrambling on commentary they had no history to go on between these two but he certainly held his own and as you said Courtney frustrated the world champion and, the, and bear in mind this is a guy we're talking about Max Verstappen here this is a guy that He's probably the hardest person to race against because he's so unpredictable and he's so aggressive. And yet George handled that aggression. He handled that frustration and he really got in Max's head. And until that strategy change came after Leclerc's pit stop, George pretty much won that battle against Max Verstappen. I think it's fair to say in in a weaker car, okay, you know, Catalonia is a circuit. It's a hard one to overtake. And Red Bull clearly didn't have that straight line speed advantage on Mercedes in which they've been enjoying against them in the past. That seems to have gone now. Um, they re He really did a great job. Lee, I mean, Courtney and I have been fanboying over George in this podcast so far, but what can you add to George Russell's day? I mean, how impressed were you by George Russell? Well, I would summarise it as George outmaxed Max. Ooh, I like um, that. I like that. I love it, yeah. Especially when um, Max went for that lunge into turn one. And you, you could just think, as like Max is like, I got this. Yeah, I got him. He's gone over to the right. I've gone down the inside. Yeah, I've got this. And then there's like, George, where, the, <laughs> where did you come from? <laughs> we just stomped down the outside. And that's just, that would have been such a max defense and 
and um, and how George defended against Max. So it's that uh, was some really good defensive driving from George. You just as you, you both mentioned, we haven't had that comparison in wheel to wheel high profile wheel to wheel racing in defence. Um, so it's just really good to see that driving from George and just showing it he can do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you said, that overtake that Max made on him uh, down the inside into turn one, obviously we can't see where George Russell is, but we assume that Max has got the move done. And then it cuts away and George is overtaking him on the next corner. It's like, where the hell did this come from? And he he held it. And then obviously there was that moment afterwards where George held it around the inside of turn three. Max was trying to overtake him and, and Max and Red Bull were complaining that George Russell would force Max off the road. I mean, let's be honest, guys. If you're going to stick your car around the outside at turn three, Lee, as you pointed out, um, actually, no, I'm going to let you get this one in, but um, okay. I'll say my piece on it first. You know, when you're on the outside of turn three, if, unless you've got so much more grip and speed, you're not going to get that move done. So really the way the cars understeer, if you're there, you're always going to get in that position where you get pushed a little bit wide. So I didn't see anything wrong in that one. But um, what were your thoughts on that manoeuvre with George Russell and Max Lee? Did you feel that that was ever on for Max? Uh, it was never on for Max. Unless you're Fernando Alonso, you hey. can't go on the outside of turn three. There we go. <laughs> Unless you're Fernando, you can't make that move at turn three pretty much. And uh, yeah, summed it all up. But no, it was a great day for George. Um, it might be a little bit disappointed that he was only able to get P3, but I think Red Bull had the car, had the strategy. And once Leclerc had retired, it gave him that opportunity where they were able to amend the strategy to beat George Russell today. But otherwise, it was a great job. Um, Lewis Hamilton, very, very strange day for him ultimately getting awarded driver of the day for his recovery. But it had a moment um, when he had a collision with Kevin Magnussen at turn four. Guys, I want to come to you quickly on this one. What were your thoughts on that one? Did you think that was a racing incident or do you feel that perhaps one of the two of them uh, were a bit to blame for that one? Oh, it was certainly a, a racing incident. Um, it was one of those where some were debating, that, you know, that was almost side by side. But it was one of those where, look, it's the beginning of the race, tyres are cold. Well, colder than usual, even though it was a warm race. But usually, they're more likely to make lockups or oversteer at the beginning of the races. And we're seeing it time and time again on the first lap. And at the end of the day, it ruined both of their races, not not just uh, not just Kevin Magnussen. So I don't think Lewis Hamilton would deliberately go into somebody. You know, Lewis Hamilton, as if, if you used to look at Lewis Hamilton, you know, of the late noughties, let's say, when he first came into the sport, he go, yeah, that was Lewis Hamilton being over-aggressive. But we know Lewis has changed his his his, his methods, his mindset when it comes to choosing the battles rightly. And that's what's won him so many championships. So Lewis knows when to pick his fights. And I I, I just know that that was a, a simple coming together. Despite Kevin Magnussen's frustrations, I certainly do believe it was a race incident. What about you, Lee? Yeah, I believe there was a racing incident. Um, I just unfortunate for both of them in that sense. But it wasn't a, a really impressive recovery drive from him, especially when he wanted to just retire a bit shortly after the incident. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, and I'm aware this probably might be a little bit unpopular with Team LH, but I do find it a little bit annoying that for a guy that constantly always rises to the occasion, never really gives up in his mind, even if he says it on the radio, I do find it sometimes a little bit annoying that Lewis, when that happened, he was saying, oh, should I just turn the engine down? Sorry, guys, that's it. And it's like, dude, you're in a good car. You're Lewis freaking Hamilton. You can recover this, mate. 
just relax. But then, in a way, in his defence, that's probably one of those where you need that engineer or you need Bono or someone like that to just say, come on, Lewis, like, you'll be, you'll be fine. Just crack on with it. You'll be fine. In an hour and a half's time, we've got the numbers. We're running the data. You'll be fine later on. And ultimately, he was. You know, he put together a stellar performance, probably his best drive this season by some margin, uh, to recover it to P5. It probably would have been P4 as well, of course. But um, it, it was a very strange one. I looked at that incident, and I agree with you guys. I thought it was a racing incident. Um, the only thing I would say, and this is uh, this is more Kevin Magnuson than anyone else, is that when you put yourself around the outside of Turn 4 like that at the beginning of the race, when the cars are full of fuel, he was really hugging as tight as he could towards Hamilton's Mercedes to the point where there was no margin for any understeering or anything. You know, you do leave it all to not just the ability, but for the, the, the car that's alongside you to not have an have a moment and unfortunately for K-Mag it did and it potentially ruined two races I mean it ruined one but Hamilton was able to salvage the other one so all that being said guys um what, what are we thinking about Mercedes because Total Wolf was singing the praises he went as far as saying he thought Lewis could have won today on the race pace I'm not sure I agree but overall it does look like Mercedes whilst not looking too intrinsically at the data they are looking a lot, lot better. And that is a very positive sign considering that we built this weekend up to be the one where Mercedes would either decide to carry on with their concept or abandon it and look at next year. So what are your thoughts on this one? Are Mercedes back in the mix again? Yeah, it's certainly encouraging. Um, I'm going to reference our group chat yet again. I remember we was talking during uh, the practice sessions and um, Lee, this is something you referenced. You, you said that I don't think Mercedes are going to be fast enough to challenge Ferrari and Red Bull for race wins, but they're going to at least be an annoyance when one or both of their drivers aren't on point. And we saw that today. We saw a scruffy race from Max. We saw a scruffy race from Carlos Sainz. And the Mercedes boys had them rattled. So this is going to be the trend we're going to be seeing if if the drivers from these other teams aren't on point. But at the same time, I think now Mercedes have figured out the porpoising issues, I think they've got a lot more to learn compared to the other teams. So I'm expecting them to close the gap, but it all depends on whether how much pace, how much more pace the Ferraris and Red Bulls can find in that time. I just think that Mercedes can get themselves in a position where they can be in a race-winning car, but it's just a case of whether they can get there before it's too late to go for the championship or not. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point. Uh, Lee, what do you think? Um, how much have Mercedes closed the gap on Ferrari and Red Bull? And are they in a position where they could challenge for race wins at some point later this season? Uh, they, they're definitely closing the gap. You, you look at the, the last five races, the, the Mercedes have been, at a, you could argue, the top of the midfield. They were getting in scraps with Alfa Romeo and McLaren. Haas and you're like mm, that's not really where they're more at the top three not the the rest of the field but they've left the midfield behind they were completely separated the midfield wasn't even in Mercedes strategy window as a, a hindrance they had the clean pit stops to the midfield they've left the midfield there so they've they've narrowed the gap to the front of the field that's for sure um obviously not on to I'm not sure they're on the level of race winning yet but now they've got a, their baseline, and really six races after Ferrari and Red Bull got their baseline, they can now start learning their developments and uh, learning their upgrade and getting the best setup out of it and start actually bringing performance onto the car 
from their baseline. So as Courtney mentioned, obviously for Red Bull won't stand still, um, but they're, they're, Mercedes are on the right track and I don't see that concept going anywhere. No, I, I would definitely agree with that to an extent. Um, I mean, again, you can look at the data, you can look at the numbers, and I think Mercedes had a very, very good day today. I think Lewis recovered really, really well. It just shows the recovery that he had whilst he was out to sink on strategy. He had the room to try and make that recovery work. I think if it had got caught up in traffic, I think it would have been a different story today. And it was similar to what we saw in, in Jeddah and Imola, where you know traffic can really make the difference in making a strategy work. And in this case, Lewis was able to kind of work around and towards the end of the race, he's like, oh, wow, here he is all of a sudden. Um, so the pace is definitely there. In terms of where they stand to Ferrari and Red Bull, I'm not quite sure how much they have closed in on these two. They have definitely moved further away from the midfield to the point where they're away from it altogether. I think they have closed a little bit, but I think Ferrari and Red Bull have also made significant gains in their own right. And the reason I say this is because, you know, you can strip all the data and I'm not the sort of person that has this data at hand, but from what I saw today, it looked like this was a day where Mercedes were looking very, very good, but Ferrari and Red Bull, despite having pace, weren't able, other than Charles Leclerc before his reliability issues, weren't able to exploit that to the max. So I think we are going to see it other circuits, particularly one that Mercedes may not as enjoy as much as they have at Spain, because this has definitely been Mercedes' happy hunting ground above almost anywhere else since the turbo hybrid era. Whether that translates, we'll, we'll have to see this season because the new cars, we have to remember that too. Um, it is going to be quite interesting to see how close Mercedes really are when Red Bull and Ferrari are running at full tilt and not having these issues that they had today. That said, they are definitely in the step in the right direction and I think they should be very, very happy with their performance today. And, and as we saw already, when Ferrari and Red Bull are not having the best of days, Mercedes are in the mix. So we certainly can't discount them at all. But you know, good for them today. They had a great day. So I don't want to discount it too much. I just want to say, I want to urge on the side of caution because I think we saw today that Red Bull and Ferrari weren't quite at their best other than Leclerc before his reliability issues. But, you know, it's still a great day for Mercedes. Let's talk about some of the other races today. Valtteri Bottas, pretty much the only driver that was in a race of his own today. On occasion, he had to deal with the likes of Sainz and Hamilton, that were a hindrance to him because they were obviously in significantly faster cars, albeit damaged, but still quicker than what he had. But once again, solid qualifying, a solid race. And other than a moment where he said to his team that he wasn't happy with where they went on strategy, it was a solid drive to P6. Um, Guan Yu Zhou obviously had some reliability issues of his own, but he was in a completely different race to Valtteri Bottas. Once again, you know, Valtteri's doing a, a great job at Alfa Romeo. And he, again, he's in his own little formula. You have... Formula 1 with the top three teams. You have Formula 1.5 with Valtteri and then Formula 2, with all respect to the others, with everybody else right now. Uh, you missed it, Adam. It's Formula Valtteri. Formula Valtteri. Yeah. Ah, well, <laughs> it's gone now. We're going to have to bring... We'll just have to keep bringing it back for the sake of uh, making it stick. I'm sorry. I've missed... I'm tired. It's been a long day. I, I have, my puns are not fresh in my mind as, as they would be when I'm at full strength. But anyway, yes, Formula Valtteri. Let's go with that one. Uh, yeah, what do we make of Valtteri Bottas today? He's continuing to be invigorated, I'd say. You know, we've said a lot about him. You know, his time at Mercedes, of course, being in the, the fastest car is great, but to be, you know, just to be the number two driver for such a long time, it must knock the spirit out of you. And I just think this move to Alfa Romeo has given him 
a new lease of life and you know the the development that the car has taken with these new regulations he's certainly enjoying it and um i think it's, it's obviously yeah it's Guanyu Zhou's number so he doesn't have that element to worry about that he had at mercedes so i just think he's enjoying life at the moment and it's actually shown in these performances yeah very much so i mean lee it's quite interesting with bottas because you know We've seen a lot of this from him this season. He's been quite the revelation. And I think pound for pound has probably been the best driver so far this season. Perhaps you could argue George Russell to a degree as well is in that mix. But um, right now, Valtteri Bottas is driving in a very quick Alfa Romeo. And he's making it very quick as well. You know, he's definitely playing his part. But Alfa Romeo are always quite limited on where they can go as a team, owing to their resources. And perhaps this is as high as they will go. And they'll slowly fade back into the midfield and further down the order as time presses on when these up cars are upgraded further and the teams understand them better. So if you're a rival team, say at Alpine or possibly McLaren, who, who might be unsure of their driver lineup or Aston Martin or Alpha Tauri, would you be looking at Valtteri Bottas and saying, if there's an opportunity, this is the guy we need to get because this, is, this guy is doing the business right now in these cars for Alfa Romeo, a team that you could argue can't offer him going forward what the others could. Well, I, I definitely don't think Valtteri's doing himself any harm in that aspect, putting himself on, on the table to be that I'm still a brilliant driver. I mean, he he's probably was very, not obviously undervalued by Mercedes because what he brought to the team. But as, as a fan, of, I can't take it. But he's, it's great to see the performances that we saw with him at Williams about how he took that Williams around the circuit all those years ago. So he never. it's good to see that performance there. But he's still such a valuable driver, just in the knowledge he brings from Mercedes to Alfa Romeo and if he ever moves on to another team, that knowledge is still going to be vital. So he's he's Alfa Romeo's secret weapon this year, and it's right. It wasn't a secret; he's quite publicised. But <laughs> he's 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 done bringing what Alfa Romeo signed him up for, and it's it's just great to see him so happy and performing so well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest surprise this season is that. Lando Norris is ahead of him in the championship. Now I know Lando's been very good, but I just looked at the table and I was like, really? I would have I just you just assumed that Valtteri would have been lead the leader of the rest, really. So uh, you know, he's doing a great job. Um, but while we're talking about Lando Norris, uh, I think we should put special praise on his name today. Uh, a good recovery. It was a difficult qualifying session. Obviously, he ended up missing out on Q3 owing to that track limits violation at 12, turn 12, which was a little bit controversial, I'll be honest. I remember seeing the replay and I wasn't quite convinced that he'd breached them, but nonetheless, was relegated down to 11th, recovered it to P8, despite what he claimed as to having one of the worst colds of his life. And I think a lot of us that have had colds like that in the last year or so during the pandemic will probably understand what that feels like. But um yeah, a very, very hot day, very difficult conditions. Lando clearly not feeling at his best, but managed to get a P8 today. So uh, what did you make of his performance today? Yeah, all things considered, another fantastic performance by Lando. I've, I've said it before, uh, he, he's he's in an interesting position with his contract length for McLaren. You know, uh, do McLaren really, really have the, the tools to be a championship winning team in the near future because I do feel if Lando Norris continues to perform the way that he still is, he should be given a shot in a, a championship or at least a race winning car. So he's going to have the bigger teams after him soon. So I think 
for McLaren, I think the next couple of years could be pivotal for them if they want to keep hold of Lando Norris. Yeah, very much so. And, and, and let's not forget, you know, they've also got the other issue with Daniel Ricciardo, who, despite looking promising early on, fell down the order once again. And, and Lee, with everything surrounding that second McLaren seat right now, and obviously the rumours about other drivers like Colson Herter or Pato Award, perhaps other drivers in the F1 grid right now that might be eyeing up that McLaren seat going forward, are we getting to that point now with Daniel Ricciardo? And I, I can't believe I'm saying this, that McLaren really do seriously need to ask themselves, is this guy going to be good enough to take us where we want to go going forward? Because we have one driver in Lando Norris right now who's doing an incredible job. The other one who we expected to do that job is not really delivering and it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. I, I, I would imagine that the patience at McLaren is probably starting to wear a bit thin with Daniel Warsey. If you could understand last year that he couldn't quite get up to a diff- speed of a difficult car, but this car he's had design input in. It's, it's a new car, so Lando doesn't have any preference over it, but Lando's still bringing it and Daniel still seems to be struggling compared to Lando. But then maybe we're doing a disservice to Lando and saying Daniel's struggling. Maybe Lando's just that good and Daniel isn't as uh, good compared to Lando as we would have imagined him to be. Um, I imagine for today, it probably hurt a little bit for Daniel that a sick Lando outperformed him and scored points for them and he didn't. So that probably hurt him uh, to know that. So it's really strange to see because I, I really like Daniel as a driver and mm-hmm. as a personality and I really want him to be getting the performance out of the car that Lando can do because I believe Daniel can do that. It's just, it's just mind-boggling why he still seems to be struggling. Yeah, very much so. Moving on to Alpine and this little segment of the podcast I think is quite interesting because I want to talk about a few teams that were terrible in qualifying but had great race pace. And I think Alpine exemplified that more than anybody else this weekend. Fernando Alonso, starting from the very back of the grid, of course, had that late engine change. um, So they had to start from the back of the grid, but he didn't even get through to Q2. He went out in Q1 at his home race. Esteban Ocon didn't get through to Q3, yet those Alpines were rapid in the race. Ocon P7, Alonso recovering to P9. Um... I mean, how do you feel if you're Alpine? Because, I mean, that's a great result under the circumstances, but how how have they got a car that seems to be dreadful in qualifying, and yet in the race, they were absolutely enjoying themselves? I think I'd be much happier to have it that way than the other way around. I think we've seen some great cars in qualifying in the past just fall back through the pecking order during the race, and it's actually horrible to see. So I think I'd be happy about that. I just think Alpine as a team have just been, I'd say they've probably been the most unlucky team on the grid so far. They really, really have had some terrible luck. Uh, I do feel that if the if the luck swings their way, they could be in for a big result this season. Uh, we saw, we saw um, obviously in exceptional circumstances, we saw Ocon make a win. But I really do believe, I think Fernando Alonso in particular, I think, I think we're going to see something big from Fernando Alonso at some point this season, because he deserves it, you know, with the package that he's been offered. And, you know, again, the, the lack of luck that the guy has had, I think he's due a big performance. We we, we might, in a in a mental race, don't rule that seeing a Fernando Alonso win this season. Yeah, and this has been a very, very difficult race today. It was really, really hot. The track conditions were very difficult. And um, as I said, yeah, you're right, Courtney. Alpine have been rather unfortunate this season, but they do seem to have a good race car on their hands. And that's the order you want to have it. You know, you could be Haas, 
who had a good car in qualifying, but a poor car in the race. They had two cars in Q3 and you know, one in Q3, I should say, Magnus. But then, you know, oh, well, actually, no, it was two in Q3, wasn't it? Was it? Two. it was two. Yeah, sorry, you're right. It was two. Why was I thinking Magnussen didn't get, of course he did. Anyway, look, you know, he wrecked his race anyway and, and, and the race didn't go according to plan for Mick Schumacher, unfortunately. So, you know, have to try again another day. But, Lee, on the subject of Fernando Alonso, El Plan not quite going according to plan over the course of the season so far. But based on what we saw today, there's definitely room for optimism going forward for Alpine. Oh yeah, I mean it was a solid performance from Alpine, and it shows you that I think they set their car up specifically for a very hot race, which um, it obviously was today. And I just remember at the the beginning of the race, it was like oh, there's an Alpine overtaking, there's an Alpine overtaking, there's an Alpine overtaking, there's an Alpine overtaking. Obviously, for Fernando, you start so fat, so far back, you obviously have a lot of cars to overtake. But I think a few laps into the race, Fernando had already gained like six or seven positions. So what a rapid start he had. So the wily old fox is still still there. He just yeah, it was just a solid performance from both of them in a really racy car. That's obviously they lack their one lap pace, but that's not that's not everything for a, a race car. It's a racing car, not a uh, one lap car. Yeah, very true. And um, I think we should really praise the 2022 cars in equal measure because this is a circuit where we don't expect many overtakes, and I think we were quite. Well, we were quite spoiled almost for overtakes. I mean, we had some crazy stuff going on in the race anyway with reliability and crashes, etc. But it was a very good race and um, we didn't have a safety car either, if I remember, serves me right, which was very strange because we got them in all the junior races. So, uh, yeah, absolutely love to see that. So it's very, very good stuff. Um, Quick note on Yuki Tsunoda. Uh, We'll talk about him briefly. Another good result for him. Good points. And... It gets to that point now where, you know, AlphaTauri might be looking forward with their driver choices and Snowder's certainly doing himself no harm getting in the points once again. Yeah, he's one of the drivers that have really had to step up this season and so far he's doing exactly that. He has to keep this going though because he is one of the drivers that will be vulnerable just simply because of the team that he drives for. I, I do feel there's a lot of pressure on that team because of that. So I just I just think that he has to continue and not drop off like he did last season. That's vital. But I think we've seen so far he can certainly do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Lee, he certainly seems to have the measure of Pierre Gasly. Or, or, and that's a huge surprise. That's certainly no mean feat. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, as Colin mentioned, he's, he, he has to have a successful season. And so far, he's doing very well in taking that step up into last year. So obviously, Pierre is... Um, a good target and a understand across the grid at what he brings to a team. So Yuki's doing himself no harm in beating Pierre. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the hot conditions. I think, I think it was a point in the race where Mercedes were talking about this because I know teams were asked to submit their cooling packages or, you know, however that chore translates with the teams and designing their cars, et cetera, et cetera, is up to them. But, um, you know, Mercedes were having some problems with cooling and uh, it was something that I noticed with them that you know going to the issues that Mercedes were having towards the end of the race with Russell and Hamilton um, do you think that that might be one of the issues that they just went a bit too extreme on on the way they set the car up to manage cooling yeah that's your answer <laughs> sorry it was a it was a bit of a sideways yeah. step it just comes to mind when we were talking about it with hot conditions but anyway look let's round this off with Aston Martin I think we'll talk about them before we sign off and 
this was a very, very strange weekend for them because obviously they turn up with their B-Spec car, which both drivers got to drive, which I think we're all in agreement is good because we were worried that Vettel was going to drive the old car. And uh, yeah, it turned up and it was pretty much a green Red Bull or close. And we talked about this on the uh, live stream and qualifyingly. Courtney, I want to get your thoughts on this one. Um, what are your thoughts on this car? And especially given that this is a team that's had a history of... Mm-hmm. Well, for lack of a better way, rolling out a carbon copy of another car. I mean, do you feel that this might have any legs that Red Bull may want to investigate this with with what's gone on with Aston Martin and how they've ended up turning up with a car that very much resembles at least the side pods and the underpart of the Red Bull? Well, yeah, you couldn't blame Red Bull at all for uh, making a complaint. I can't believe I'm saying that. I just said it's okay for Red Bull to make a complaint because they seem to complain about bloody everything. (laughs) But on this occasion... On this occasion, it's okay for Red Bull to have a moment because it's obvious that they've had concepts because I think there's been a lot of acquisition of Red Bull staff at Aston Martin over the last season or so. So, of course, you know, information might have been taken on because I know there are agreements that certain information can't be passed on the contracts, blah, 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 blah. So maybe there might have been some breaches in contracts. But that's something that Red Bull obviously need to investigate. But I think in terms of the performance of the car, and we saw it as well with the McLaren, actually. They made so many changes to the car, but you have to, it takes time to make an understanding of the, of these big changes. If you're completely changing a car, it's going to take time. And I think we saw that with the Aston Martin. So let's say, hypothetically speaking, they've copied the Red Bull concept. It's all winning good copying it, but you need to understand why they've gone down that direction. And just bowing onto your car doesn't mean it's going to suit your car. So I think there's going to be a lot of head scratching at Aston Martin. Can they get there? If the, if they go down the similar road to Red Bull, then of course they can because, you know, obviously the Red Bull's working well and the Mercedes have also made progress with their engine as well. So with those two things combined, they should have a steady car. But as I said, you, you can't just put bits on a car and expect it to work. There's there's a lot of work and the philosophies that go into making those cars work the way they do. So the next few races are going to be very interesting for Aston Martin, that's for sure. Yeah, I certainly don't think that issue is going to go away anytime soon. And, and you're right, in the course of the race, the Aston Martin definitely grew, at least in Vettel's hands, it certainly looked like it was growing in performance. So it could be one of those where they just really need to understand it properly and see where it all pans out. I mean, the numbers are there. They obviously think that this is a faster car. Stroll's comments um, pre-qualifying were quite interesting when he was saying that they built two cars and they went with the old one. I don't really think that was quite accurate or he said that right. I think what he meant was they designed the first car and then they had this car that they were sort of in the works and then they obviously had to put that together. But I'm sure we're not going to hear the end of this with Red Bull and Aston Martin. I mean, it involves Red Bull, so we're certainly not going to hear the end of this at all. Um, but, you know, I can totally understand how they feel on that regard. I think, you know, it, it is what it is. So we'll have to wait and see how they get on. But, um Guys, I think that's all we've got time for in this episode. It's certainly uh, been a very, very long day for a lot of reasons and certainly a lot to take away from that race. But I think given the upgrade season is very much underway, I think the good news is that a lot of teams seem to be very happy with their upgrades. At least we seem to get rid of, got rid of the porpoising. I don't really remember seeing anybody that was complaining with that. Certainly not Mercedes. So that's certainly good news for them as well. But of course, we're going to be back with our preview for the Monaco Grand Prix. And it's going to be a very very significant Monaco Grand Prix, probably one of the more significant in recent years. Can Charles Leclerc catch Max Verstappen and win 
his home Grand Prix, which he's never done before, not even finished. So certainly going to be a hoodoo. He's going to want a break and Ferrari will need to respond in kind. If you have enjoyed this episode of the podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Of course, if you follow us on your favorite podcasting platform, you can also like and follow us on there as well. We greatly appreciate it. And of course, we love every single one of you that tunes into our live streams of qualifying as well. And of course, we'll be back for the next one of those on Saturday. But until then, guys, we've been DNF1. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe. and We'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.